Well, what do you know? Here we are, back again. PK and his sidekick, Gordon Monson. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a sidekick. <laughs> yeah, I'm riding in the sidecar. <laughs> and you're driving. The Robin to my riding. Batman. <laughs> we call this in contention, and we're already having contention right off the bat. <laughs> who's going to be Batman? Who's going to be Robin? Yes. By the way, what was the deal with that Robin outfit? I, just, I don't think I could see myself in that. Well, the thing that I never understood is that the disguise wasn't that good. (laughs) You know, just like those simple, that little thing that he put over his eyes. You ought to have been able to figure it out. (laughs) You know, as he went around Gotham City, it it made no sense to me. Now, Batman, that was another story. So, that I get. But I would ask you, who was your favorite villain? (laughs) My favorite villain? Yes. Ever. Oh man! I, uh, don't you have to go with the Joker? No. Uh, I mean, no, 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 no. Don't tell me the We're Riddler. contention. No, the Riddler. I never could solve that guy. Catwoman was. She, it's uh, undoubtedly Catwoman. <laughs> it's Catwoman, one hundred percent. Did Halle Berry uh, change her? I mean, uh, lead you in that direction? Lee Meredith, Halle Berry. <laughs> Catwoman, yes. The Catwoman costume was right there with Olivia Newton-John, your hero, in Greece. Right? Olivia Newton-John, feel your way. Yeah, already you're creeping me out. And I must, I have to tell you, we're doing this thing from Gordon's house. And we're in a bedroom and it has a little uh, sitting area. And the fireplace is going. He turns on the fireplace. And I'm thinking, wait a second here. And then he offers me some alcohol. I think he's trying to get me drunk. And who knows where this I is going to lead. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, but orange offered, juice, how did I know what was in orange juice? I offered you a, a drink, not a drink drink. I didn't know that, though. Once you turn on the fireplace, it started to all make sense to me. <laughs> well, you're a very attractive man. <laughs> Last time I had alcohol was in the Caribbean. Oh, yeah? Yes, we were there. This is a few years back. And we're taking a... A catamaran out to from what is it, St. Thomas to St. John's, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And we meet on a Sunday morning, and it's a group, an excursion. You sign up for it, right? I'm looking forward to it. It's a beautiful day, and we're going to go out there. And you know, the Caribbean water is so spectacular, right? So I'm, I couldn't be more excited. So we get there, and they're going to feed us. Well, it's going to be lunch later, and you know, I've been on a few of those over the years and do a pretty good job, right? Well, here. They had a continental breakfast and had some nice cinnamon rolls and those types, croissants and those types of things. Well, the beverages were some soft drinks and what I thought was orange juice. It looked like (laughs) orange juice. (laughs) A vodka in there or something? But after four of them, I'm going back for more. (laughs) Because I'm thinking... Well, I got to get my money's worth. I've paid for this, so this food is already prepaid, right? So I'm going to eat as much as I can because, you know, with each meal, it reduces the cost per bite, right? So I have four of these 
orange juices. <laughs> Were you feeling better as time yeah. went on? Oh, yeah. I was loud. I'm normally in a crowd. I'm not very, I'm on the, on the radio. I'm loud and obnoxious and on television, you know, I'm over the top. But when I'm in a crowd of people, I'm usually quiet. Well, I'm just, I'm practically on the top of the catamaran looking out and having a great time. My wife takes a sip and she says, hey, wait a second. I don't think that this is strictly 100% orange juice from Florida. And it never dawned on me that it had more than orange juice, which we found out, yes, it did. <laughs> but you were, uh, were you getting, uh, which direction were you heading? Were you South. Were you, were you, <laughs> <laughs> With each sip, I was getting lower and lower. <laughs> Are you a funny or an angry or a, a, a philosophical uh, drinker? Well, I used to think that I was loose and happy and, and whatnot. But, you know, I have to say growing up, I lived what would be considered a normal teenage life. So I'm not going to say I didn't imbibe, <laughs> but I never imbibed in hard alcohol. So I had no frame of reference as, to far, as far as what it tastes like. Because I never did any of that, so, so the I, or, you didn't know what was in that orange juice. You didn't recognize. I think it, it right was some type of vodka, as you say, yeah. or, or some I don't know whiskey or what have you, bourbon. I'm not sure. I think rum. Actually, I think it was rum. Yeah, but I had never had rum, so I didn't know what rum tastes like. <laughs> so I had I couldn't compare it to sip it and say, oh yeah, that's rum. <laughs> And so to this day, I've had almost zero experience with that form of alcohol. I've had, a, you know, not in a long while, but you know, a few beers here and there, but no, no alcohol, the hard stuff. So I had no idea. So I just thought how, it was a good tasting orange juice. <laughs> that was did, my naivete. How did glasses treat you? Uh, were you, <laughs> other than heading south, what, what, uh, what were you feeling? Well, they told me to finally say, okay, we're now ready to start the cruise. Stop dancing. <laughs> <laughs> you were dancing around. <laughs> yes, that was oh, the life of the funny. party. <laughs> and normally in in, in in crowd situations, I'm very quiet and people think I'm shy and I don't have much to say. But in this situation, oh, yeah, I was introducing myself to complete and total strangers <laughs> so in, in multiple languages. <laughs> if it improved your overall uh, personality, maybe. Well, uh, anything can. And milk can. The kind of personality that I have. So, yeah, when you offered me that, that's what I thought. My eyebrow went up, and then you light the fire. And, and, and I had to, I said, oh, no, man. the one thing we cannot do, since this is audio, we cannot play the soft music. So we're not doing that. Okay. I, I had to tell you to turn it down. So I've never, I've never drank. Uh, I tasted beer once in high school and hated it, so I never was tempted to mess with that. And somebody dropped one drop of whiskey on my tongue tongue once it was from like you know back back in the old days they used to give out like little samples of whiskey or something for uh on airline passengers and whatnot mm -hmm. and somebody and that boy i tell oh. you i wasn't i wasn't man i wasn't any kind of grown man enough to to be able to even endure that so i never really got into the drinking thing yeah i wouldn't have any idea what any of that tastes like to this day if you put three or four different forms of alcohol and said one was one and guess which I, I wouldn't have no I would have no clue 
So what's your favorite country music? You are a connoisseur of country music that has anything to do with uh, getting drunk. Well, I don't know that we can say this, but Jimmy Buffett has a tune. He calls it Let's mm. No, Let's Get Drunk and mm. So we'll leave that at that. Wait, that sound effect is worse than the actual word. I, I know, but they can't blame me for saying the word. Uh, the word is... Not a dirty word, but in the context, it's a little questionable. Uh, Luke Combs has a song out that I think they had the country awards the other night on the TV. We were watching them. And it says, uh, long neck, ice cold beer, never, uh, never did me wrong or something like that. <laughs> so there's a, a lot of beer drinking tunes, that's for sure. It's, it's uh, people, the cliche of country music used to be, you have a 18-wheeler in there, and you yeah. have a case of beer, and you have a, a hot woman, and uh, what else? Uh, maybe a broken home. Some type of uh, chewing tobacco. <laughs> it's not that way anymore. No, it's, it's basically pop music that is transferred over. Of course, tractors. Yeah. They're sexy. <laughs> yes. I know you like that song. Yes, my wife loves that tune, yeah. actually. Yeah, anyway. so... There we are with uh, where we're at now. So we thought we'd discuss some things of the day. And obviously, the hottest topic we have going on right now is certainly University of Utah football. As the Utes, uh, we're recording this midweek, getting ready to go down to Tucson. I'll be at that game. And we expect the Utes to roll. I'd be shocked if they didn't. They've basically rolled everyone since they lost to USC. You and I were both at that game. And what was it, 28-21, I think? 30-23, wasn't it? Yeah, you're right. It was a seven-point loss, and I think that was the final. And since then, they have blitzed everyone, with the only exception being Washington, which was a five-pointer. But even that was a little misleading because Washington scored right at the end, and I was on the field at that point. And you can tell Utah was not just playing defense, they were also playing clock. Yeah. They knew that. Remember that 19-play drive that Washington put together or something? Yeah, and you could tell Utah was not in complete and total prevent prevent defense, but they were allowing things that if it had been one score that they not necessarily were going to allow. So they won the ball game by five, and, you know, you went on the road. But certainly other than that, everything has just been a complete and total blowout. Games have been boring. I'll tell you what – I usually I always write up a little article, a column after the games. We post it on twelve eighty the zone for the UCLA game because I wanted to get out of there. I didn't want to be there very long. I literally and I usually go about six fifty to six hundred to six six hundred to seven hundred words, which is be about twenty, twenty two inches of uh, uh in a newspaper length to give you an idea. I wrote that thing. I wrote 550 words of that on Thursday. Because yeah. you knew what was going to happen. Precisely. And nobody cares about the individual game. They care about the ramifications and the implications of the game. Sure. What does it mean as far as the conference title? What does it mean as far as the playoff, potentially the Rose Bowl, those types of things? Yes. So I sat down and wa- and wrote that thing watching some NBA hoop on the Thursday night before a full 48 hours I literally had 18 of the 22 inches done so all I would do is go to the game type in a couple of things that happened about the game and put that at the bottom put the ramifications everything at the top 
and I was good to go. That's the level of competition that they've been facing, which is a, an indictment on the conference, but I think it's more about the credit of the University of Utah. They've been so dominant. And I'm probably going to do the same thing this week. Well, with an eight eight fifteen kick. Yeah. Oh, I don't uh, have a deadline. That's right, you don't. But, but still. I don't like to stay till one two yeah. in the morning. Yeah, I mean it's a waste of time. You know, you said something really interesting there, PK. You said that nobody cares about you know the details of the game. I think people like watching it, but you're right. At yeah. this point, all those bases have been covered now. Right. Right. We know that Tyler Huntley is is uh, playing at a an excellent standard. We know Zach Moss is one hell of a running back. We know what that defense does. It just tears tears teams apart. I mean, I, it, against UCLA, I was a little surprised that UCLA was able to gain some yardage on the ground, but what was it, minus 80 yards in sacks and whatnot, tackles for loss. Yes. And so they ended up with like 50 yards total. That that new defense is something special to watch. But we know what it is. We know what it is at this point. I would be absolutely shocked, like you said, if they struggled against Arizona or had problems with, with Colorado, which takes us back to that uh, Friday night, September 20th, when the Utes played – USC at the Coliseum, you mentioned we both were there covering that game. It, it, it makes it stand out even more because we haven't seen that on any other occasion really with this team. And so I, I was thinking that that may be one of the more damaging losses that the Utes have ever suffered. Devastating? Be- Devastating maybe uh, because if they were undefeated right now, they would be in the playoff. They would. Unless an Oregon maybe would no. knock them off uh, not, in well, the championship not, not, game. Well, not, not right now. No, right. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But but the Utes would be getting all kinds of pub, and they are getting a lot of pub anyway. They but, would be fourth, maybe third. Yeah, but they and they'd be ten and zero, right? I mean, is, yeah, yeah, they'd be ten and zero, ten zero. So yeah. uh, so it, it may you know you saw that game, I saw that game. The defense was beaten in ways that we didn't expect. I think there was a coaching change as far as strategy goes for the second half, going away from that press man coverage. And, and uh, so that should have been the plan from the beginning. But Morgan Scally has been so good this year, as has Andy Ludwig. Uh, but but Morgan kind of he kind of blew it in that first half, in my opinion. I mean, I'm not going to blame him. The players have to – uh, perform as well, but uh, I was thinking about other losses that the Utes have had that rank at this level, and I thought of three others. One was the TCU loss in 2010, I think it was, when the Utes started out like 8-0, and they were ranked, highly ranked, and highly thought of, and they lost that game 47-7. to They got crushed there. And then uh, maybe, the, uh, maybe the Colorado loss their first year in the Pac-12 uh, where they had a chance to go to the championship game, and Colorado was not a good team that year. PK, you were probably covering that game. I, uh, I was, yeah, I was there. It was the day after seconds. Thanksgiving. It was yeah. a day game. And they lost that one. That was uh, a real head-scratcher. And then maybe won a couple of years ago when they won their first six games, and then they lost to SC down at the very same Coliseum that cost them this year. But that's just one of those things, because I think this is one of those all-time great U teams. And I might put it at the top, despite the loss to the Trojans. When I go down the list and look at all the talent on this team, I think it's right there with 04 and 08 and might be superior, too. 
In my mind, I don't think there's any question I would put it superior to any team that they've ever had. Yes, you are looking at eight of the 11 guys who will not be on the team next year on defense. Seven seniors. Jalen Johnson's already said he wants to go. So that's eight of the 11. I asked Kyle this week, how many of those eight do you think are going to play in the NFL? Every single (laughs) one of them. (laughs) That's impressive. They have six guys invited to the Senior Bowl. Correct. And uh, others, like you mentioned, who uh, aren't seniors who who will be gone. Yes. So they have the complete package this year, defense and offense. And when they hired Andy Ludwig, uh, PK, I, I wrote a column at that time that this was going to be a, a, a supreme move for them. And he has done a spectacular job in guiding Tyler Huntley along, putting him in places where he could thrive. And he has answered that bell in a way that a lot of people never thought they'd see. Andy Ludwig, absolutely. He's the third best assistant coach hire ever made in the University of Utah football history. What were the others? Number one. Well, let's, go, let's do it reverse. More dramatic that way. Okay. Number three, Andy Ludwig. All right. Number two, was only here one season, but coaxed eight wins out of that ball club, and that's Norm Chow. And that team was not very good. John Hayes at quarterback? Yes. All right. He got eight wins. Great job. Number one, Kyle Whittingham. Ron McBride bringing him aboard. From Idaho State. As a defensive line coach, then elevating him to coordinator. To the point where, when Urban got the job, Chris Hill and his close advisor, two people, strongly recommended that Urban keep Kyle. We're going to tell him what to do. You have the right to hire your own coaches. But it was strongly recommended that Kyle Whittingham stay, which is very rare when a coach is fired. Not so rare when the coach leaves for another job, Mm -hmm. but when the coach is fired, which is what Ron McBride was in that situation, that you have a coordinator stay. You may have some others stay, but not as often does a coordinator stay. To Urban's credit, he listened to what Chris Hill said, and obviously he kept Kyle. And then we know that was, uh, what, 17, 18 years ago. Now going forward here, Kyle's in his 15th season. We are doing this podcast on Wednesday, November 20th, and on Thursday, November 21st, Kyle Whittingham turns 60 years old. Hmm. Welcome to the club. Some talk, I've heard it from multiple people, that if they go all the way, this is it for him. Really? Yeah. And then he'll be playing golf in Hawaii? Yes. So, PK, yes. you know Kyle really, really well. What makes him such a such a terrific coach? Because remember when he first took over, he had he struggled at times. I mean, he had to learn uh, the ropes as a head coach. And he did. He sure seems like he's learned them, man. He, he had to grow into the position. He worried about things that didn't matter. He worried about the media, the response. His reaction, media-wise, is when attack – when attacked, to respond in attacking fashion. There's a story I wasn't covering. I was just, I didn't have the radio then, I don't think. Maybe I did. But I was, my assignment for the newspaper 
was BYU at the time because after the Olympics we switched stuff around and I went down to BYU and covered them and somebody wrote something and there was a headline it wasn't it wasn't you um, and he had just been in been on the job as a head coach I don't even know if he'd coached a game yet well it was in August so the season hadn't even already started and the reason why I know it was in August is because he called me and he was furious <laughs> 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 and you told him, ah, come on, Kyle, don't worry about that stuff. Well, the reason why I know it was in August, I'm down in California taking a beach vacation. Would always go down there and uh, with the family. To this day, still do it at least a week a year, go in the summer, right? And so I said, well, I haven't seen it because I'm down here in California. I'm literally, literally at the beach. And he's fired up. He's just, he's ready to do war over some headline and some story. It's been my experience that it may not continue, but at that point, newspapers came out every day. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be another story. And the only way it becomes a bigger story is if you make it a bigger story. Otherwise, they'll just go printing other stuff, and three days later... They'll have other headlines, and no one will remember it. You know, that's the nature of news, unless it's something outrageous. And this didn't qualify. When Roger Reed said Chris Burgess let down 9 million Mormons, that was outrageous, and that led to his dis- dismissal. But this was just a run-of-the-mill story that he didn't like. Mm-hmm. So I said, whoa, <laughs> let's, let's calm down here. <laughs> Got back into town, met with him, and said, all right, you can't be doing this. Just let that stuff go. Don't get upset about whatever whatever the media is doing. It doesn't matter. An anecdote, in 2007, we, DJ and I, changed from the radio from 1280, we go to 1320, right? And so the Jazz, that was part of them. They're broadcasting the games on 1320. Well, I didn't – part of the deal was – that they ran, particularly my employment, not so much DJ, but my employment, they ran it by jazz management. I spoke to Kevin O'Connor about this very thing. And he said, well, you know, I've learned, and he'd been doing the job for years. So I'd learned that when it comes to dealing with the media, if we're winning, there's not a lot you can do for me or against me. If we're losing... Not a lot you can do for me or against me. So I'm not going to worry about what you're doing. <laughs> I need to worry about what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. So I don't care what you do. Because if I'm winning, I'm fine. If I'm losing, you can't save my job. Yeah. So it all boils down to that. So the reason why I bring this up with Kyle, this is a small example, is that you talk about growing into the position, and I think you hit the nail on the head there. He clearly grew into what it meant to be a head coach. And now he's got it down. Yeah, he does. And he's attention to detail. Yeah. First of all, he's a smart guy. Second of all, his attention to detail. I don't think he's – there have been times when I don't think he's been an easy boss to have. That's another story. Yeah. Uh, I, but don't you think he's mellowed a little bit in that regard? He doesn't seem quite as hard on everybody as he once was because there were times when guys were just suffering. I think that is fairly recent on the suffering. Uh, so it's still that's still a part of the makeup. Uh, a couple of years ago, 
I mean, Ludwig's here for a reason. Yeah. And it's not simply that Troy Taylor got the job at Sacramento State. Yeah. You can believe whatever you want to believe. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, but I know specifics. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, guys are, you know, once you work for somebody in a stressful environment, it's a whole other situation. But he has a handle on the program. And he has a philosophy and he has a foundation and he's consistent. Every day is consistent. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Every day, you know, the, 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 like in game week, you know, you do different things on Wednesday than you do on Monday. But the point being, every Monday, you know exactly what you're doing and it never changes. So he's got a philosophy which was built off of the influences around him, most, most, uh, especially his father. And so he stuck to his core principles and he never wavers. And people know what you're getting from him. There's no surprises. And he also, along with people on his staff, has an eye for talent and has the ability to see what you can become at 17, what you can become at 21. And he can change people, positions. He's done that famously now for a number of years. You remember a few years back, Eric Rowe comes to camp. In those days, they don't they don't let you do it anymore. But in those days, you used to be able to either watch all the practice or half of it or the last half hour, 45 minutes. So I go up there, and they're just they're, – they're in the shells, what they call the shorts and the helmets because you have that acclimation period. So I'm looking at Eric Rowe, and he's in the two deep. He's a first-year freshman. So I talked to him. I said, hey, man, look like you're doing pretty well. He said, yeah, I'm, this is great. I said, did you know this was coming? He said, no. I had no idea what to expect. So I'm loving it. And he's still in the NFL today. He's one of their better DBs, right? So he said it was a total surprise. So I go over to Kyle, either the next day or that day, and I said, hey, you got this number 32 kid, this freshman. I don't know anything about him. You got him in the two deep. Must be pretty good. Absolutely, man. Scouted him in high school. We knew he'd come in. We knew he'd be an impact player right off the bat, blah, 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 blah. And he said, so matter of fact. And Eric Rowe had no idea what to expect. He didn't. Ha- he showed up first day, not knowing where he fit in. Kyle knew. He knew. And there was no hype about, oh, they got a commitment from Eric Rowe. And you know how they, they hype up some of these kids yeah. these days? Jack Tuttle, you know, the next whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, the next backup at Indiana. And Kyle knew that Eric Rowe had the ability to come in and be a player from day one and be a starter. And he did, played in the NFL, still in the NFL several years later. His ability to see talent is awesome. Another example of that would be Eric Weddle. Right? Oh, for sure. I mean, he was he grew up a UCLA fan, and UCLA didn't want him. And right. you'd pluck him and bring him right. in, and he's starting as a freshman, playing every eventually playing every position there is to play. So, yeah, Kyle's done a terrific job, and he's evolved as a coach, and he's uh, probably as good as he's ever been. Speaking of coaches, real quick, PK, somebody who was uh, Kyle's defensive coordinator at Utah, Kalani Sataki, gets extended this week. This is something that you and I knew BYU should do. They, they did the right thing. Okay, yeah, that was a good move. I think that was smart, obviously. We've been calling for it for weeks to extend Kalani. I don't think there's anybody better. You need to have some continuity. He provides it. The players love him. He is winning ball games now. I don't know how they did it at two and four. I thought they were left for dead, and yet they, with a third team quarterback, third team quarterbacks, as far as we know, are one and zero this year. Yeah. Matt Fink, <laughs> and now uh, Baylor Romney. Yeah. And Baylor Romney. I think he can give more than one. Uh, he got the he got a couple other or at least one other victory. But the thing that I wanted to highlight. 
And that's great. And so he's going to be there to 2023 and hopefully longer if that's what he wants. But this is just a start. You know, they have underfunded this program for years. Yeah. And if you're just going to extend him and that's all you're going to do, why bother? Drop, not drop the program, but drop the scheduling with the level of intensity that you're scheduling these P5 programs. And you look at next year, they got six P5 programs, and they got Utah State, Houston, Boise, Boise San Diego State, mm-hmm. Boise. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are some of the better, if not the best, non-Power 5 teams, right? Certainly Houston. Houston's hit and miss, but Houston's got all these guys this year that redshirted after, they got a, after the bad start. So they'll be coming back next year. They got a new coach this past season, this season that we're in. Boise's always good. Utah State, they're good. It's a rivalry game. And San Jose State under Rocky Long has been good now for a number of years. So that schedule is harder than your average P5 schedule. Uh, next year. Yeah. It will be the best schedule that they've ever had. Yeah. And, on paper. And so here's the deal. And I'm, I'm the, of the opinion that had Lavelle Edwards faced this kind of schedule, he would have had probably a crappy record too. I well, mean, you go back, BYU, and I hate BYU fans don't want to hear this. Well, I want to but, hear it. But BYU's, uh, its tradition, its success, its legacy was built mostly on beating inferior competition. And every once in a while, they would rise up and beat a, a, a marquee team. And uh, they did, Lavelle did a terrific job doing that. But had he had to face this kind of competition without the advantages of being in a P5 league, they just can't do it. You mentioned emphasis and, uh, and, and uh, the way BYU does its business. It doesn't pour enough money into things like the coaching staff. It doesn't pour enough money into supporting the program, recruiting budgets, all this stuff. And in order for them to be successful playing these kinds of teams and achieving the goals that Tom Homo has sort of laid out for them, they've got to do something different. Absolutely. I do think Lavelle Edwards would have more success than the current coaches have been having. Well, they had great assistance. Well, and the only th- he would have had to got the program going a little bit. But Lavelle Edwards coming into your home is a powerful recruiting tool that they do not have. They may get it. They may get there. Lance Reynolds told me a story once, and Lance is a high school player here in the Salt Lake area, was highly thought of, and he was recruited by everybody. A lot of teams wanted him. Well, the coach from Cal came in, and I forget his name now, but he was the dude who was uh, went on to, to coach uh, the Raiders. Anyway. John Ralston. Uh, he, he, no, it wasn't him. But he, he, John he, Madden. <laughs> Art Shell. <laughs> Flores. <laughs> the Raiders? Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, he uh, he showed up. And Tom he, Homo. He had, uh, he had the gold chains on, and he, he, he drove up in a Porsche in front of the house, and he picks up. Uh, I wouldn't know what that's like. He picks up Lance, and they go out to some fancy restaurant, and, and Lance comes home, and he goes, wow, I'm, I want to go to Cal. And uh, Lance's dad, who was a BYU fan, called Lavelle and said, Lavelle, if you want my boy, you better get up here in a hurry. So Lavelle shows up and uh, shows up in a Volkswagen bug, picks him up, takes him to the McDonald's down near the old Cottonwood Mall used to be, takes him into the restaurant there, into the McDonald's, and he looks up at the board and he turns to Lance and he said, go ahead, order anything you want. Wow. You're letting all, all, pulling out all the stops, huh? <laughs> but Lavelle landed Lance 
And, of course, Lance went on to be a longtime assistant coach down at BYU. But Lavelle, Lavelle was Lavelle. I mean, he was scored a once-in-a-ten-generation in, in a kind of coach. Yeah, I think Kalani can get there, but you have to have success. He has a lot of the – some. I see similarities uh, in some of the ways they do their He's business. not as funny. No, yeah, Lavelle could slice you up pretty good. Yeah, he, he could, but 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 he's he has a personality that is very charismatic. He also had the advantage, like we talked about, he had great assisted coaches. I mean, go on down the line, Norm, uh, Doug Scoville. He had Mike Holmgren. He you know, he had great coaches uh, to help him along Dave the way. Dave Cragthorpe, Dave Cragthorpe, Fred Whittingham. I hate both of their sons. <laughs> So, so, but he also had the advantage of being able to manage the the outside the field kind of behavioral problems of some of his players, and he had the uh, sort of the license to be able to handle those issues. And nowadays, down there with the honor code, with the academic standard that's down there, you got to be a freaking egghead to go to BYU now. Oh, I thought you always did. It's it's gotten nothing from like I mean, a, you from the forties. I thought you had anybody that I've ever known who's gone to BYU from nineteen sixty five on has been a complete and total nerd. <laughs> Which is worse, a nerd or a geek? Uh, I guess a nerdy geek. <laughs> well, all I know is you got to have like a thirty on your ACT and have a three point okay, nine GPA. Right, all right. And they do make exceptions yeah. here and there, but Star Lotelalei was going to go to BYU, right? Uh, that's what we heard. Yeah, you couldn't get, uh, couldn't quite get. Uh, well, I'll tell you a story right now. There's a player, and I can't, I cannot give his name. I'll be glad to tell you off, off the podcast because I don't want to. I just can't do it. There's a grad transfer who wanted to get into BYU, and his mother wanted him to go. Coaches wanted him to go. He was all set to go. They would not let the kid in. And he has had a phenomenal senior season this season. He has been a difference maker for his team this year. And I'll leave it at that. And Initials? They, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'll tell you his name. After. Well, this is what I've been told. I've been told that they're willing to budge a little bit on underclassmen, uh, incoming freshmen, but for this this grad transfer thing coming into a, a program at BYU, they are they're very stingy. and that's stupid. They yeah. need to cut the program some slack. But see, because of those things of what you just say, and they're all true. I don't disagree with any of them. That's why you got to pump more money into recruiting. You got to pump more money into coaches' staff. You got to pump more money into nutrition and all those supplements to make sure. Since you got all these problems or obstacles that you have to overcome over here, I don't know that they're ever going to change, right? But over here, you can change it. You can put more money into these types of things. Put the freaking money into it. Try If you're going to be a big-time program, be a big-time program. If you don't want to be a big-time program and you want to have a smaller budget, then fine. Schedule New Mexico State. Do all those types of things. Beat those types of teams. But if you want to play big boy football and schedule big boy football, you're not going to change the honor code, so there's no point in discussing that. You're not going to change the academic standards. There's no point in discussing that. But you can what, make exceptions. And they do make some exceptions. Yeah. Not every one of those football players was an honor right. student in high school. Right. Over here, don't be paying guys 80 grand. Mm-hmm. And that's what they paid, some of them. And that's great money, but compared to coaching salaries – BYU needs to stop being an entry-level position mm-hmm. on their coaching staffs. Got to stop it. 
Don't do it anymore. You can't do that, it. They have that president's circle down there that helps raise funds, right? For yeah, then raise them some, and put them back into the program. But you're right. They, they have to do it. You get what you pay for when it comes to these kinds of things. Right. And, and BYU has been hesitant to do so, and that's got to change. Look, at we talked about Kyle Whittingham earlier. What is Kyle when, – when, when you go up to Kyle, PK, and ask him – For money? What his – Tells me to stick it. <laughs> Ask him what the number one key to success in college football is. He always says recruiting, recruiting. He gives credit to his players and he places an awful lot of emphasis on recruiting. Well, they led the Pac-12 in in, in dollars spent for recruiting last year. Over, was over a million dollars. Yes, we don't know about SC and Stanford because they're private institutions. But of the public institutions, they were number one. What does BYU do with that? That's the kind of thing they have to just oh pile gosh. money into. When the assistants, when Bronco left was it four years ago now so I got to know a number of the assistants and they take and and Rocco took and I didn't take all of them but he took a number of them to Virginia so they go to Virginia and they're already on the job in Virginia they come back here to move to get their family going right so I happened to speak to a couple of them where they're, they've just left BYU, but they're employed and they're recruiting for Virginia and the differences that they told me he said, it's an absolute joke what we did here in Provo versus what we're doing in Charlottesville and the access that we have and the money that's available to recruit and what we had over here at BYU was just ridiculous compared to what they have at Virginia. Now, these are guys who are on the front line, and they told me this. They're also getting their salary doubled. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Literally, in one case, I know because he told me, he went from 150 to 350 mm-hmm. and so of course he's going to take that job and they're still there today and these guys over here they're not fighting a fair fight and they need to change that and get off their high horse part of that traces back to when Lavelle was there yeah. uh, what Lavelle did uh, and and I, I think it was against mostly substandard opponents, but they did have some exceptions to it. But what he did was he pulled off a freaking miracle. He, uh, he they, And BYU got used to that. They got used to not paying what needed to be paid, not pouring money into things that needed money poured into. And so then the, that sort of went rolled forward that attitude it, rolled forward and now we're at the point now then, we're, yeah yeah maybe so because others weren't being paid outrageous there weren't being private planes right so it was more level yeah okay than what it is now now disparity top is dogs is just gigantic and so, even there's a bunch of p5s that can't compete with a lot of the p5s ohio state's budget yeah. it's vir- virtually unlimitless i've been to their practice facilities i've I've been in their weight rooms and stuff. All the thing, and not to say that they over here don't have good stuff, but the stuff that they have over there, I've toured the facilities mm-hmm. in Columbus. It's just outrageous. And plus, the ability to fly coaches, and so they can see different guys because they're not sitting in an airport. Right. It's particularly in the winter when you're doing your recruiting after the season, and you're sitting in an airport, and there's a three-hour delay and all this stuff, and it's just ridiculous. They don't have that. At well, these you, other institutions. You walk into BYU's football facility, and what do you see all over the walls? You see church quotes. You church see quotes? Church quotes. You see, uh, you know, a very religious Arab sort church? of lean to the whole what thing. What church are you talking about? But, but be, the LDS church. Oh, uh, but, yeah. 
But uh, I don't pay attention. You, you to those know, quotes. it's not a church calling anymore, man. And or if you want to compete in in college football, was at it the ever? higher levels? Now they have to find a way to pour money into the program, or like you said, back off. Uh, BYU fans going to have to get used to winning between maybe six to nine wins every year. Because if they continue to schedule like this and they continue to invest what they invest in it, it's going to be very, very difficult for them ever to put up records like well, Lavelle used to talk I'm about back in the quote-unquote glory years. I'm going to call for all BYU alumni to donate 10% of their salary to BYU. <laughs> Wait, that sounds familiar. Right. So you got 10 over here, 10 over there. Can you supplant one with the other? If you want to burn in hell like me, I guess you can. can it's up to you. Rob Justice. It's up to you. All um, If you've received a degree from Brigham Young University, now is the time for all good men and women to give back. <laughs> if I graduated cry? from that institution, I would give back. <laughs> but I did not. Well, I did not go to that institution. Well, something's got to give uh, yeah. in order for fans to 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 have their expectations fulfilled again it just won't happen under the current Before, formula which is what makes the kalani sataki hire the a good hire because you're, you're not going to get anything better going forward as we close it up what's got to give for the jazz well, they can't. Uh, Donovan Mitchell can't uh, make five of twenty-four shots. I promise you that cannot happen, and they will win. But I also promise you that I don't think that's going to happen. Well, he said afterward the other night. He said, "I'm not going to shoot like this." Joe Ingles. Joe's been struggling. Uh, some nights Bogdanovich is really good. Other nights, not so much. They brought these guys in. They brought them in because they're shooters. Mike Conley. They brought them in because they could score, and they haven't been scoring on a consistent basis, and so. So that's a problem. And it's a problem that it. I think is temporary, though, because if I had to choose a problem between offense and defense, I'd rather choose offense because I think you can improve. If you're horrible defensively, I think it's hard to get better. Well, that was the whole emphasis during the offseason is Correct. to bring in Conley and Bogdanovich, guys who could score, guys who could help uh, alleviate some of the problems from a year ago. And that was all made evident to uh, jazz management when they saw – the uh, the Jazz go up against Houston, and they, they, they could not score enough. So that's what they tried to do. And so eventually this thing has to smooth out, you would think, over so time. You the, think other thing, the other thing is the bench. They have bench to get sucks. More, they have to get more consistent contributions. Bench is way too bench. weak. Yeah. I've been saying it now for weeks. Yeah. They, I mean, they, Moutier has been sort of a nice surprise. Okay. Jeff Green, of course, the injury Hit and miss. to – to ED has not been uh, particularly. I prefer helpful. Ed Davis. I don't know that I'd call him ED. <laughs> I think you did that on purpose. <laughs> but uh, you know, and, and I don't know whether Dante Exum what kind of contribution Who? he's going to give. Who? De. Dante Exum. The flip yeah. of ED. Hopefully. De. Uh, yeah, they need to they need to shore up the bench. I mean, they got four or five guys who don't play. I'm surprised George Yang didn't get any time. I thought he'd get well, more he time. He started out a little on the rough side. Yeah, so is Conley, but he's still playing him. Yeah. Uh, I do think, though, I think that Tony's not ready. He's just not ready to, Tony to fill Bradley? that role. Yeah. Uh, yeah, check back in 10 years. 
I don't think he'll ever be ready. <laughs> yeah. You think he'll be ready to do what they need him to do? Well, in the modern NBA, he, he doesn't really fit uh, fit what uh, seems to be the goal these days. Right, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So The I, other thing is the teams know that the Jazz want to either shoot three-pointers or, or layups and, or dunks. Uh-huh. And so defenses are sort of loading up in those areas and making the Jazz take uh, – take mid-range, and I know statistically people have pointed out that that's not the most efficient way to play, but if that's what defenses are giving you, you better make those shots. And I do think it'll get better, and I do think over time it'll be fine, and it, it is an evolving process. Yeah. If we're sitting here in Christmas, and the issues that are plaguing them in the middle of November are still plaguing them a month from now, yeah. well, then I'd be far more concerned than I am right now. You used a key word there, PK, and it is. It sounds like an excuse, but it's really not a process. That, that's what's going on. 82-game regular season, there's going to be these undulations. There's going to be some ebbs and flows. And, and the Jazz, I think, over time, I talked with uh, Quinn Snyder the other night, and he said that uh, he, he understands that this is sort of an ascent yeah, that they're I, trying yeah. to make, uh-huh. and it, it isn't going to be completely steady. There's going to be some off nights, but I I, I would be shocked come February if this team is is not uh, moving along in a, in a positive direction. Okay, to close it up, I'll give you about two minutes to let us know where you stand on the impeachment hearings. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I, I think it's messy. Uh, I don't know that it's really going to matter because I'm talking uh, about the impeachment, not your marriage. (laughs) The Senate has ultimate say no matter what the House does. Right. So that's Senate being a uh, colloquialism for your wife (laughs) has ultimate say you being the House. (laughs) You're talking about your marriage here, aren't you? No, not at all. I thought we were talking about impeachment. Who has the say in your marriage? I got to hear this. Oh, man, I lost the power a long time ago. Right. So you're the House. She's the Senate. <laughs> okay. I didn't know what you were getting at there. But uh, so be it. 435 over there, 100 over there. <laughs> okay. There you go. A simple mathematical equation. Gordon Monson adding it up. The results will be what they are and were. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Come back. We'll do another one here in a few days. And in contention with Gordon Monson and his sidekick, BK. Oh, nice. I'm I'm riding that motorcycle now, baby.